Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. This is Kevin, and I'm joined here with our co-hosts, Stacy. Hey, everyone. Sarah. Hey. And Darren. What's up? And today we're talking, we're going over our stories uh, regarding race and racial relationships in the church. So um, I think I think it's usually important that we kind of set that foundation of where we're coming from. Um, and so I know we've talked about it in ways in the past, but maybe we could just give a few words to say how we identify and what was the first time that you realized you had a race? That's a very specific question, but it's usually insightful. So I'll start. Um, so I uh, identify as Black American specifically. Um, I don't shun African American as a as a title, but I I use Black American um, because I I want to, for people to think about what it means that I had my my uh, my ancestors had their Africanness stolen from them, and um, there's not an easy way for me to connect back to my African origins. And so um, I use Black American because America made me Black. And um, I want America to, to kind of own that in some ways. So of course, I'm starting off some, with some real strong words. But um, yeah, I think it's important that, that we choose names that are meaningful to us. So if someone chooses a different name or a different identity marker, that's totally fine by me. Um, but for me, that's how I identify. And then when it comes to when I first realized I had a race, um, I was very young. I want to say uh, probably like first grade or something. And I remember being in school and we were learning about the civil rights movement or, you know, like celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday or something like that. And uh, my teachers... And I didn't realize most people didn't have this, but my teachers were like very pro-black and we, they talked about the civil rights movement all the time. It wasn't just in February. And um, and so uh, what often, well, not often, but sometimes what happens is when you hear about the atrocities, um, you know, packaged in a way that's for first and second graders. But when you hear about it, some of my friends be like, oh, I don't like white people. And uh, I remember going, well, not all white people are bad because my dad is white. But I didn't say that out loud to anyone. I just thought about it in my head. But when I got home, I talked to my mom about it. And, um, you know, my mom and dad were both at home. But um, when I talked to her about it, she was like, no, you're we're all black. <laughs> Uh, we just have different like skin tones. <laughs> like I didn't, I I thought white was being of a certain shade. And if you were darker my next than that, question for you, right? <laughs> if you were darker than that, then you were black. And I didn't have a concept outside of the binary of blackness and whiteness. But, um, but yeah, like I was, I was very young realizing it's like, oh, it's not just skin color, um, but. Uh, but yeah, and and like it would be years later before like black meant something still other than this is what you're born or you, where your family is. Um, but yeah, um, I'm curious to to hear others of how you identify and uh, when was the first time you realized that you have a race. Yeah, so um, so for me, I identify. Um, I now say I'm a white Latina. And I say white, not only because I, I'm, I'm mixed, so I have white in me, but also, um, you know, when you look at Latino folks, there are so many different shades. And so I feel like being white passing is very important now to um, make that very clear because sometimes there's like misunderstandings or misconceptions um, that you know, to be, you know, Hispanic or Latina, like, or Latino, you're one shade. Um, and so it's, it was important for me as I, I've had a lot of like identity issues with like my, just who I am in terms of like my ethnicity. Um, I grew up around both of my family. So my mother um, was, my mother is white. And so but we were very, so like my, my brother on my mother's side is half black. 
And so I grew up with his father. So I would say like my upbringing, I, the norm for me was to be and to see people of all different colors, because even in my Puerto Rican family, there are many different shades. So I don't think I really like grasped like what color really meant until like, I remember, um, always getting the question of people, um, and specifically coming from, um, like white friends that I would have, like, what are you, what are you? And like, I, you know, I have a, a blonde hair, blue eyes, white mother. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm white, but yeah, but what, what are you? And so I remember going to my mom and asking her, like, am I mixed? Like, am I like, is, am I white? Am I like, like just confused as to the questions I was getting because. And how old were you? Uh, I would say, I want to say maybe like 10, like, oh, like it wasn't quite middle school. Um, But I remember just like questioning, like not feeling like I was like white enough or not like, like just feeling like, like, do I not look white? Like my skin's white. But like, also like, why does it matter? Like just starting to understand, like, why does it matter? Like, why do some, so many people want to know what I am? Mm-hmm. Um, and why is like my ethnicity important? Because again, like I, my brother, my brother was black. My mom was white. My, you know, family is various shades of brown. Um, some of them are lighter than I am. Some of them are darker. And so my norm was just that, you know, your skin color is, is the color that it is and, and, some of my family speak Spanish, some of them don't. And so um, I, I started to just feel like conflicted and just not sure how to identify. And then, you know, when you're filling out government forms, it's like white, you know, but not Hispanic. So I'm like, well, okay, I can't check that box. And then it's Hispanic. And then mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, well, which one? And so just always kind of being confused as to how do I identify myself? Because um, some other questions I would get is like, well, which one are you more of? Or what do you consider yourself more of? And I'm like, but how can I, p-? like, I literally grew up around <laughs> being uh, being just embraced in both cultures. Like I, you know, spent just as much time with my Puerto Rican family than I did my, and my white family is very small. It was just my mom and my uncle. And, you know, and then my mom, my brother's dad, you know, being black. And so I, I for me, I just, all these questions that were coming up and as I was really trying to figure out my identity and how do I, you know, identify, um, and we might get into this conversation a little bit later, but another thing that kind of came up was like the idea of like my last name. And I remember family, a family member was like, you know, well, thank goodness you have your mother's last name and not your father's. So you'll be more accepted, wow. you know, without a Spanish last name. And so like, there was just all these different messages that I grew mm. up. And so that, I think then I started to understand um, that just how much impact your culture um, but your race, um, all those things have on your identity and who you are. And so like now being, I, I definitely am at a, pl- a place now as an adult recognizing that, you know, my skin is white, I have privilege. Um, but I also really identify with like, you know, the issues that are facing the Latino culture. And so, but also not forgetting that I pass as white, I'm, I'm a white female, um, and my experience is very different than some of my um, cousins and siblings that are darker than I am. So I think it was very important, like when I, as I was coming to terms with everything. And so now I just say, you know, I'm a white Latina and just I keep it at that. I appreciate that. I think I've always known that I wasn't like the kids around me. Right. I've written about this in my blog a little bit, uh, but in pre-K, we came over to the U.S., Sorry, I'm trying to figure out where to start. I was born in Guatemala, so I'm a first-generation immigrant, um, and I identify as Hispanic. Uh, Hispanic or Latino, it truly doesn't matter to me personally. Um, So yeah, Hispanic or Latino, and we moved here when I was four. The school that I went to, there were two pre-K classes. There was one, just the regular class, and then the... um, the ESL class. And so my parents put me into the regular class because they wanted me to learn English and be integrated. And like just that first generation immigrant uh, uh, thought process of, Mm -hmm. Hey, we need to embrace the culture 110%. 
And because I didn't know any English, what that teacher did, uh, God bless her, and I mean that wholeheartedly because I don't think she knew any better, was because she couldn't communicate with me, she literally put me into the corner and said, hey, go go over there, go play, go be on your own for the entire school day. And so I had been in a school back in Guatemala and all of us, and I loved it. And all of a sudden I come here and I hate it. Mm. And finally, uh, thanks to my grandma staying behind a little bit after dropping me off and like kind of peeking through the window of the classroom, uh, they realized what was going on. They moved me into the ESL classroom, which wasn't ESL. It was all Spanish speaking period. Uh, the teacher spoke Spanish and my, my mom's still friends with her. They, you know, 20 years later, 20, almost 30 years later now, they still know each other. They, they still laugh and they still, you know, get along and everything. She checks up on me every now and then. Um, but it was all Spanish all the time. And so I didn't realize what that, like I was four, I didn't realize what the difference was, but when I got into kindergarten, I was put, the class I was put into was a, a gifted and talented kindergarten class because uh, for some reason the American school system has those, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, and the teacher said, the teacher pulled my parents aside one day and said, hey, he needs to learn English. And if he doesn't learn English by the start of the new calendar year, I'm going to have to push him back to the like regular class. I'm going to have to put him in the ESL class and that's not GT. That's going to affect him down the line. And so it was in that class that I think I first had the realization that I was different and my culture was different and my language was different. Mm -hmm. And I needed to catch up to everybody else. Um, And that feels like the wrong word, but it's really not the wrong word in the way that the, again, American public education right. system is That's set how up. You experienced it. Right. <clears throat> um, I needed to learn English by, yeah, and, and really it was like two months and that was it. Like there was just a period hard stop at the end of that sentence. And so that was the first time I realized that I was really different from the other kids. Um, we moved at the end of that year and the school that I went to was mostly uh, whites and Asians, uh, Eastern Asians. There were a couple of Hispanic kids, but I was one of very few. And so again, I knew that I was different, but the entire concept of race didn't click until a lot later when I had the words to put into it where I knew, hey, I was born in Guatemala, and that means that I'm Hispanic, not white, not Vietnamese, not whatever. Um, And funny enough, that was also about the time I spent, I think, four years, uh, and this is totally going to kill any political aspirations I have, um, but I think I spent four years not saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and there was... Yeah, and there was one teacher, my third grade teacher, who we can get into, who really did not like that. Um, She had several meetings with my parents over that. But again, it was this idea that I had that, no, I'm, I'm different. And I'm an American citizen, yes, and I love the United States, but I'm different. And I'm going to choose this very small way to honor that. Um, wow. And you said that was third grade? I think so. Roughly. Yeah, roughly yeah. roughly third, somewhere between second and fourth grade. And That's I, really powerful. Yeah, I spent probably until seventh or eighth grade in middle school that I just didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I mean, I stood with everybody else, but I didn't say it. I didn't put my hand over my heart. Um, and again, that was just my way of saying... Of, of acknowledging that, hey, I'm different from everybody else. I have a different background from everybody else. I have a different upbringing from everybody else. And this is how I'm going to uh, take that stand. This is how I'm going to stand out in the one and small way I can. 
That's hmm. what's up. Interesting. That's powerful. So, Stacy, how do you identify, and and <laughs> and when did you figure out that you have a race yourself? So I am white through and through. Um, aside from taking a DNA ancestry type of test, um, we uh, hail from uh, Western Europe and the Scandinavian and uh, the uh, British Isles region of uh, the world. So we are white. <laughs> so um, yeah. You know, the area that I grew up in um, was rural southern Minnesota, and um, it was rare to see a person of another color. Um, Like, there was occasions, like we go to the town that was a little bit bigger than ours, or quite a bit bigger than ours, which had a university in it. And there we would see different colors, nationalities and stuff. And I was always really intrigued um, and wanted to know more. And then, you know, at school, we'd, you know, read about things, different events that happened and the slaves and um, things like that. But I don't... I don't know if I ever realized, like, aside from, like, seeing people at the university, maybe when I was a kid or around the university, that, you know, there are people of other colors. But to me, and this sounds terrible, but, like, for me, white was always just the default color. And and I know that that sounds terrible, but, but that's, that's very common for people because, who were raised as white. Yeah. And because of the area that we lived in, it wasn't until I moved to the urban area and were surrounded by more people of different colors and cultures and stuff like that, that I was like, well, they're just like us, you know, <laughs> we're, you know, it's not like you're white or these, these other people, you know? So yeah, I'd have to say, because there weren't, aside from there were a few like Native Americans in our area, quite a few actually, because of just where I grew up at, um, there weren't people of other color. So Native American was kind of I mean it was rare but it was they were there so it, I don't know it's for me it's still like an ongoing process of thinking of white people as being a race <laughs> because when we talk about race if, as a white person I at least have always thought of it being other races and not white people i don't know if that makes sense but it, it does <laughs> and i i do this kind of on purpose so I, I appreciate you like sharing yeah. um and if you have space for me to to poke a little further like sure it sometimes sometimes it's when i have these conversations but <laughs> but is there a point where you specifically said like i am white or where you said like this is this is this is who i am for whatever reason I don't think so. And it's, it's funny in a way, because in our, in my own family, we have various shades of white as well. (laughs) Like my, one of my sisters and my mom are like way whiter than I am. And we used to joke terribly. So about how dark I would get in the summertime (laughs) and it was like the thing, you know, how tan can you get when you're a white kid, you know, type of thing when you're out sunbathing and trying to get darker. But I don't No, I don't think that ever actually. Yeah. I can't think of like a time when that ever happened. Yeah. And, and again, I, I am, I am putting you on the spot and I no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> but, um, It's, 
I have, I've on more than one occasion have mm-hmm. done this same um, conversation with people and uh, what typically happens for a lot of people who are raced as white um, is that they, they had a point where they realized there were other races, mm-hmm. but they may never have had a point where they realized that they have also been given a race and assigned a race and, right. and that that's a thing. Um, and so I've had people in, in workshops be like, wait, I have a race. Like, and um, it's always such an interesting contrast, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, you're, an, you're an adult who is having an ongoing experience in contrast mm-hmm. with three other people just in this right. space who somewhere in their in their primary years were going, mm. oh, this is what this is, and this is different than that, and blah, 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 blah. And so I, I bring that out um, to say that this is part of why it's often so difficult for, for these kinds of conversations to happen, um, because for people of color, we're coming with our whole life experience right. of yeah. being and, and realizing and having all of these things that are filtered through a racial lens. And for many people who are white, um, in a, in the conversation, they're finding out that they're white. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's just like, wait, what do I do with that? Does this change everything? <laughs> and, it, and it can be really, uh, it can really, it can be upsetting for some. Mm-hmm. It can be really um, challenging for some. But I think for us to for us to be able to have this healthy conversation, it's so important to know where our where we are in the conversation too. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. to be thinking about what our lens is versus what other people's lenses are. Um, because that is that is one of the ways that that whiteness works. Um, and I should probably maybe break out what I mean when I say whiteness or blackness. Um we uh we know um, that in our history globally and specifically in America, that whiteness was something that was created. It was a legal classification that mm. said that these people from these specific places are white and people who are classified as white are legally entitled to these um these things within our country, within our legal structures, benefits, right? So things like the ability to own land, the ability to own other human beings, the ability Mm -hmm. to, you know, vote, all these things were predicated upon this legal classification in the U S. Um, and there's different versions of it in other countries, but I, Mm -hmm. I'm most qualified to talk about it from a U.S. perspective. Um, And so what happens is people were assigned a race, they were given a race, and along with that came certain benefits and entitlements and so forth. Mm -hmm. And other people were deemed as not within that race. They were not white. Um, And there were other classifications created and renamed and renamed and renamed um, through the years for all these people who were not white. Um, we know we talk often a lot about the things that happen to people of other races. Excuse me. Um, we talk a lot about the things that happen to people of other races, but we don't often talk about what happened to people who were white, where they lost the part where they were Scandinavian or Hungarian mm. or German or even more specifically Italian or Irish. Like we still hold on to the names. Right. Yeah. But. How many how many people who are white in this country like have the dances that came from those places? Mm-hmm. You know, right. we might have some of the food, but how many you know still have the spellings of names that mm-hmm. came from our our our, our you know ancestors? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, whiteness actually took from white people too. <laughs> That's interesting. Go ahead. No, I was just I I was thinking about that because I know that there have been different spellings of my maiden name and how they changed things like that. So that's interesting, but I appreciate this. This is a good conversation for me to have with you three and um, very eye-opening. And I will definitely be listening as we continue and sitting in it. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I just, I, I, I want this, I want this and what, what we always do. My intention is that we create, you know, brave space or 
um, protective space, um, not necessarily safe space. Um, I want us to I want us to to lean into what what we're afraid of and the things mm-hmm. that make us uncomfortable. Um, it's it's brave because like, yeah, just because you're afraid doesn't mean you can't move forward. And it's protective because it's like at the end of the day, we are caring about each other. We, uh, we want to take care of each other and it's not something, it's not a win lose battle, but you know, we want, we, we want us all to get better and we want us all to be healthy. Mm Um, so I, you know, to, if we pull back a bit, um, let's let's look at our church church's culture now. Like we talked about how we identified and how we saw ourselves. Um, how did you see the churches that were part of your formative years? Did did you feel like your church had a racial identity, or what? What were the hallmarks that maybe now you look back and say, "Oh, my church was this." Um, and I can go first, but if anybody has a has a has a resonance with that, then, then hop, hop in, go for it. Um, so Sarah, I don't know if you've, you have experienced the same thing, but, um, in my experience, Latinos are really Hispanics in general are really interesting when it comes to not just race, but specifically nationality. Mm-hmm. So it gets deep. It gets it gets, it gets real. And don't but call somebody the wrong thing. Uh-uh. Don't call but it there. speaks no. to like if I could before we get into like the church piece, <laughs> it speaks to like um that like we've been we've been put in this box right mm-hmm. as Latinos, Absolutely. but my culture as a Latina is different from yours. We're not even in the same region. My nope. family comes from the Caribbean. And you're in South America. Get out and of here. so it's mm-hmm. it's it we're not a monolith. And I I, mm-hmm. I say that so much because a lot of times I think people assume that the mm-hmm. Latino experience is the same. The same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that's that's one thing that uh sticks out to me more than anything else is we we're not a blanket, we're a quilt. We are a giant quilt. Um, so the church, the church I grew up in, uh, which was also uh, the church that my dad was a pastor in, uh, the church that my sisters uh, were born into, was a Hispanic church in South Houston. And that's an actual city. It's not just a region of Houston. It's South Houston. Like That's a city. That's an area. And uh, this, it was a Hispanic church. And it was the Hispanic evangelical church that my dad's boss went to, and he invited our family to to go visit one day. And then we ended up staying there for eight years or something, nine years. Um, and there were Hispanics from all over, all over the Western Hemisphere. There, we had Argentinians, we had Peruvians, we had. Uh, Guatemalans and Mexicans and Puerto Ricans and Honduras. I mean, you you name the country on the map, and we had it in that church. All Spanish speaking, all Spanish worship, and also very traditional. Uh, you you might go to a Hispanic church, and they're very charismatic, and they're very outspoken, and very gifts of the spirit. And we were like very traditional super evangelical, very conservative, like do not dare to raise your hand in worship because an <laughs> elder is going to come up to you and say something at after service. So y'all had suits all the time, right? Suits no, all the time. No amens. The old ladies could get away with saying amen. <laughs> and sometimes one of the men who was super spiritual. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I grew up wearing suits to church and like super conservative. Anyway, um, but one of the things that really started to bug me from other Hispanics, funny enough, really early on was don't call me Mexican. Mm. And my parents would say that to everybody. And I would say that. And even my sisters at one point started to say that because especially I think for the area, everybody just assumed that we were all Mexican even other churchgoers, even our friends and people we considered family were like, oh, well, you're, you're Mexican, right? And we're like, no, we're, we're Guatemalan, which is 
close, but it's not. And they're like, no, no, no. It's they're it's like, basically it's the same thing. It's the same. <laughs> no, it's it's not the you're you're Argentinian. You how do you not know this is this is not the same thing? Um and so that was my first experience with church. So it was it was a very good thing, I think, for me because it helped me to solidify that kind of what I was talking about a second ago, that we're you know, I was part of a larger world. It wasn't just me, myself, and I by myself. It was, hey, all of these people share a similar experience with me. Uh, all of these people are first generation, and if not second generation, like barely second generation immigrants. Like my sisters are considered second generation immigrants because they were born here. And so it was very good from that aspect that I got to, I was exposed really early on to a lot more culture than if than if we had found a, a white church like we did later on um, and just started going there as the one Hispanic family in the church. What was that like? Not as bad as it seems. Um for the most part, um, we joined that church because we just we needed a break from ministry. And one of my dad's co-workers invited again, invited us to that church. And we went and I met the youth pastor and I went to a youth group night. And I told my parents that night coming home, I was like, this is the church I'm going to. I don't care if you guys go, but I'm going to go. <laughs> And I'll walk there if I had to, which was completely unreasonable because it was like a 30-minute drive. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> you but were I committed. Like, I was committed. I was like, this Sold is where I'm going to. Christ. Yeah, oh, well, something. Something. <laughs> something. <laughs> about, about what grade or how old were you? Uh, that was, I was 12 years old. I was 12 years old when we started going there. And was like your school or, or, or community life, did it, did it match that church or was it very different from that church? That's a, that's a tough question. Uh, so I was in, I was in seventh grade. The school I went to was very, very multicultural. Um, if you don't know, Houston is the most multicultural city in the United States, I believe in the world, um, you can find literally every single country on earth in Houston and not just hmm. little, not just one family, mm -hmm. but like whole neighborhoods, whole pockets of it. We don't just have little Italy. We have little China and we have little Vietnam and we have little, I mean, and I say we like I'm still living there. Um, but it's just, it's a very multicultural city and the, the middle school the school district that I grew up in was uh, was reflective of that. It was very multicultural. And so I had friends who, who were Hispanic. I had friends who were Asian. I had friends who were white and black. And we were just multicultural. Um, so then going to... But then the groups that I was in, I played in the orchestra. And I was pretty good at it. And that was predominantly dominated by white and Asians. Um, and I played soccer and that was predominant, that was dominated by Asians and Hispanics. And I was on the swim team and that was just, or not Asians, white people and Hispanics. And I was on the swim team and that was all white people. And I was like the one brown kid. Did so, you ever catch flack for that? No. Okay. Uh, not from the swim team. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> not from the swim team. Uh, I had other people at church who did give me flack for that mm. at this at this uh, Southern Baptist white church who a couple years after we started going did poke fun at the fact that oh well of course Kevin plays soccer and of course he's good at it I mean he's a beaner <laughs> yeah. and of Ooh, course he's wow. on the swim team he's a wetback and like that's you We're know these are for explicit we wow. sorry yeah but these are <laughs> I think are I think good. it's important that people understand that these are terms that are yeah 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 they're still we might used. joke about them yeah they're still used and we yeah. might joke mm -hmm. about them but people use them and kids use them yeah um i corrected someone an adult actually just the other day on the on the use of beater like wow. the origin and like why it was technically a derogatory term so wow. yeah it's still used wow that's that's incredible um, One last poke into your your choke. Well, I mean, you can talk as long as you want, but I'm I'm curious uh, when you 
came to that church that was different from you? Did you feel like you were able to fully express yourself in that in that church, in your worship and and your language and your history and origin, or did you feel like you were um, I, I, assimilated is a really loaded word, but did you feel like it was more of a place to assimilate into something else? I think at the time that we started going to that church, I wanted to assimilate. Um, I didn't, I'll admit, I myself was racist against my own people. That's a thing. Uh, yeah, against other Hispanics. And I took pride in saying, well, I'm not like those Hispanics. I'm not like those Latinos over there. I don't dress like them. I don't talk like them. I can pa- I can pass as white. I can, I'm, I'm smarter than that. I'm, I'm more eloquent than that. Um, and so by the time we got to that church, uh, I was coming out of my don't say the Pledge of Allegiance phase to I'm going to proudly say the Pledge of Allegiance and I'm going <laughs> to proudly sing uh, the Star Spangled Banner and I'm going to be the first one up and I'm going to you know, do do all the things that make me a good American that really, uh, without realizing it was just code for I'm, I'm going to be as white as I can while having black curly hair. Hmm. So that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes. And I and you you really you dug deep and I, I appreciate that. So thank you for sharing that. I would say I my the church I grew up with um predominantly what with my mom was no doubt like I would consider it a white church. It was yeah, all white to the point where um, and then I think that this is how, how I can say it was a white church because my brother and I were the only ones in the church that, you know, and I, and again, my skin is, is fairly white. However, just maybe a few skin tones darker than my mother, several uh, shades darker than my mother and my brother being black. And so we always got questions and my mother was a single mom, um, because my, my brother's dad didn't attend church with us. And so when we were in church, a lot of people would, would ask her like, oh, like you adopted those kids. So there was always questions like, like we could always identify in the church directory our picture because, um, it was, you know, my mom, blonde hair, blue eyes, and then, you know, her olive skin tone daughter and, and my brother and her black son. And so, um, it, you know, like just noticing that. And again, like not really understanding, like, why is this a big deal? Like, why do people, why are people so concerned with our race or why, we, you know, we don't look like her. And, um, but we did, we got a lot of questions or, you know, do you guys have the same dad? Like, it's just, I mean, people all in your business um, when you don't look <laughs> like your mother, you know, Stuff like. They would never ask anybody else. Right? <laughs> people like we would get looks because my brother and I are 11 years apart and, and people would always assume that my brother was my son. And so I'm a teenager and they're looking wow. at my mom, like, you know, looking at her crazy, like you know, cause you have a teenage daughter because my brother looked like he could come from me and not, you know, not, you know, cause how can a white woman have, you know, mixed kids. So, um, it was, it was interesting because I never really felt like I fully fit in, even though I'm, I'm, you know, I have white in me. I didn't feel like I fit in with, um, mm. white people because my culture, like my identity, um, I spoke different. I had an accent. I, um, you know, the music I liked and listened to. And so even just like going, going into youth group was, it was just, it was different and a lot, it was very clicky. And so a lot of times I was just, I was by myself because there weren't many people that I could just share my experience and I'm introverted anyway. And so, um, but the interesting thing is that when I was with my dad's side of the family, I was in Catholic mass, (laughs) but all, you know, with all Latinos, like same thing with, Mm -hmm. with what Kevin shared that, you know, um, Puerto Rican, just, you know, Dominican, like all different this was in New York. So, you know, you're getting all different types of flavors, but Talk you know, about I'm that some more like, about what, was that, the, what was that like? Like it, 
Well, it was weird because I'm not Catholic. So, you know, Catholic <laughs> mass really like it was scary. You know, I was raised Methodist. <laughs> and so I knew that there were, you know, things that you do and you don't do. But I mean, the music was vibrant and it, I guess because I, I don't want to say I was more embracing of my Puerto Rican side, but in a lot of ways I was because I was exposed to a lot more of it because I don't, my, my mom's side of the family is not really big. So I don't, aside from my mom and two uncles, I don't really have any other relatives on my mother's side. And so it, it felt it felt weird because it was mass, but it also felt like, you know, these are my people, you know, I didn't really get questions about, you know, what are you or what, you know, like I, I just, I didn't because again, Latinos come in all different colors. And so, especially being with my grandmother, I mean, the, you know, if anything, the only question I got was, you know, my proficiency in Spanish which was yep. all over the place. Right. <laughs> and, you, and you had to qualify because right. there were levels. If you couldn't speak Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, it all depended on the year, too, because. <laughs> it's It's been it's been a journey. But there were there were times in my life when I really like wanted to get rid of the accent and wanted to just, you know, change up how I talk. And I, and I, I see myself doing it even still to this day. Um, the church I serve in ministry is it's majority white. And so when I'm on camera and recording videos, I notice that I'm really trying to like suck the accent in <laughs> as much as possible because on, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, why do I do that? Like, why, why do I have this perception that having an accent is bad like or that it's unprofessional or so it's just it's still an interesting like you know trying to embrace multiple cultures and it it really is interesting it's been an interesting journey for me but yeah I you know when I when I go to New York when I'm with my family like there's never a question of what am I don't I don't think I've ever if anything, it's like, where is your family from? More so speaking, like, what country? You know, like, what country is your family from? Are you Puerto? And actually, majority of the time, people are, you're Puerto Rican, aren't you? Like, we can, they just know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, say, I'll, I'll say that, like, as far as Hispanics go, you can generally pick out different traits and accents and just kind of cultural, you know, lines where, oh, okay, they are South American uh, or they're Caribbean, you know, Puerto Rican or they're Mexican. Um, So like, I get that where I tell people I'm Guatemalan and Guatemalans are generally like, I think average male height is five, four and super, super dark and very large foreheads which I, I, you know, I do have a little bit of a large forehead, but I'm also looked at your forehead. Like that's rude. That's rude. That's first off rude. Mr. (laughs) Mr. Male pattern baldness. Oh, snap. You're reaching because my hair still reaches down to my waist. Oh, um, but like I'm five ten, so I tell, and I'm you know pretty light skinned for our listeners here, where I tell people I'm Guatemalan, they're like, "What? No, your your mom must be white." And I'm like, "No, she's Guatemalan too. I'm just, I've got, I don't know, I've got the non Mayan genes somehow." <laughs> so I I get the like, you know, where what country are you from? Or oh, well, you must be from this country or this region that's very puerto rican folks make it easy though because usually there's a flag somewhere (laughs) (laughs) hello (laughs) we love that flag there's not you can see it in the car (laughs) in the car in the clothes i i'm just speaking to somebody who grew up on the east side of chicago there it is i saw you know but there was a time in our history when Mm -hmm. the puerto rican flag was outlawed and we could not wave the puerto rican flag so i think you know wow it is a there is some pride to it. Not and, know uh, you know, Puerto Rican history, it, it gets really deep, especially, you know, within the United States. And, um, oh, yeah. It's but violent. It, yeah. yeah. It's what is interesting because, like, growing up, there's a lot of, like, the history that I just didn't understand or I just didn't know. Um, I didn't understand, like, why my grandmother was so insistent on me understanding the recipes 
but not only understanding the recipes and how to cook the food, but like the whys, like where Mm -hmm. the food came from, why, you know, certain Mm -hmm. things were important. And so like, now I have this like drive, like I'm into all the books, I'm into all the history. I'm like just learning as much possible because it really just is interesting. And you don't, you don't learn a lot about that, you know, um, just about the various different histories. I mean, just even when I was my last job before ministry, when I was serving, you know, a Latino serving agency and it was a a large immigrant community in Southern Delaware, um, a big Guatemalan population, Mexican um, population down there and just learning a lot about the different dialects because like I thought that I would be able to communicate because I knew some Spanish, but then hearing like, what, that's not, that's not even Spanish and just hearing people Mm -hmm. speak the indigenous language in Guatemala. I'm like, wow, like, I've had to even just, just learning the different cultures and, um, you know, within, within the Latino bracket, it's, it's just fascinating. It really is fascinating just what, you know, how we're perceived in the United States. But like, when you really get deep into it, like the history is, it's really great. Well, and you have to be careful. Like I, I talk a lot to, to Spanish churches and one of the first questions I always ask, whether it's a coaching call or or they invite me to preach or you know something like that. I always ask, okay, what what countries do you have represented here, or what country are you from? Um, because I remember one day my dad. It was right when my dad started preaching. I'm I was like seven years old or something, and he said a a slang word that for him was fine. And again, he's preaching in Spanish. And he said something. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Um, and nobody's gonna understand it except for Sarah. Uh uh tu madre es fea. And like his his literal word yeah, his literal <laughs> wording, and it, it, that wasn't the exact phrase, but the literal wording is your mother is ugly, right? And, and so it was something like innocuous like that, right? For him, it was meant to be a punchline because Guatemalan, you just you just kind of use it as a punchline. Like even to this day, me and my dad, if he says something that annoys me, I'm like, ah, tu madre. I'm like, just uh, whatever, your mother, right? Which doesn't, like, it doesn't make sense. When you think about it, it doesn't make sense. A lot of Spanish is like that. Like you try to translate right. it and it does not make sense. <laughs> It, you're like that what why is that funny <laughs> but like half of the people that in the church were just offended because they were like how can you you called my mother ugly like what are you and he's like no i like he had to calm the the congregation down he's like no no no, no. I, that's a joke and he had to take five ten minutes to explain it and at the time, I mean, I'm seven years old and I sat in my dad's preaching because I was like, oh, my dad's preaching and I love him. He's my hero. So so I didn't get it. But now years later, you have to be cognizant of that. It's not just the the native languages that everybody goes into. It's also the, well, what slang am I allowed to use and what slang can't I use? Mm-hmm. How do I need to word this for you? Because Hispanics like Sarah was just saying, are just all across the board. Um, and, and across the globe. <laughs> and across the globe. Not even the same, like, Not climate. even the same region. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, uh, it's just, it's it's interesting, like, looking back, I like, I like hanging out with Hispanics more, honestly, because everybody's like, hey, primo, como estas, hermano? And you get a hug and you get a kiss and then you get, like, three plates to take home and you're like I don't at least like we didn't even have food at this thing where are you pulling out yeah. tamales from what are you <laughs> we didn't yes. have to we had we had carne asada and you're giving me a tamale like what I don't okay I'll the take hospitality it hospitality is real it's oh man like, yeah <laughs> it's it's like it's home but it's it, I I think like the language piece is like so important too, because Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, even when we were working at my last agency and just trying to like translate things, there was always conversations of like, how do you say this word? 
okay, well, how is this word literally translated for someone that's from Guatemala or for mm-hmm. someone that's from El Salvador? Like it right. literally these in-depth questions of understanding. And so it's like, it's not enough just to, you know, be bilingual, but it's like also understanding the different cultures. So it's it gets, the actual it gets really, multicultural, not the, yeah, it's the actual language. multicultural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like all my friends, a lot of majority of my friends are, are, you know, some form of country Latino. Um, and it's always these conversations of just understanding each other's cultures, you know, talking about different experiences, some similar, some different. Um, and it's, it's, it kind of like is what brings us together, I think, in a way, because we're lumped together. And so we yep. kind of embrace that mm-hmm. aspect. But it's also beautiful to see the different things and also to recognize the issues. And like, you know, it's not always like peachy clean and like, you know, great between the Latinos. Like there's a lot of racism within a Latino community, colorism. And so there are a lot of like issues too that need to be talked about that yep. show up in churches. I mean, I've seen different churches, um, that we've tried to work with down in in the Southern state and just how they treat different people from different countries. Mm -hmm. So it's, it gets really, really like deep um, when you're talking about like race in a church and when you have different people, different cultures represented. Hey folks, it has been uh, an amazing conversation uh, just listening to uh, to Stacy and Darren and Sarah uh, talking about just all our different experiences with race and church. Uh, we all feel that this is a conversation that needs to last into next week and we've got uh, so much more to say that we don't want to deprive you of it. So. Uh, This is going to be part one of our uh, conversation here. And uh, please tune in to part two next Tuesday for the Church Round Leaders Leaders Roundtable podcast uh, as we continue our conversations on race and uh, the way that it intersects with the church. Thanks so much.